0: Welcome
1: to CEO Coach. I'm Jillian Music, co-founder of Moz and Brett Approved, and CEO at Outlines Venture Group. I'm here with my friend and colleague Ann Kennedy, president of Outlines Venture Group, author of Global Search Engine Marketing, and co-founder of the world's largest consortium of digital marketing companies. Together, we're serial entrepreneurs helping online companies to launch, grow, pivot, and thrive. Find out more at outlinesventure.com. Hello Anne, what's in your mind today? Hi, Jillian.
2: Well, today it's not what, but who. I am delighted to say we have with us Katherine Jordan. She's the director of the Coulter Foundation program at Drexel University here in Philadelphia. In that capacity, she manages a very early stage fund for founders in medtechs. Kathy, welcome to CEO Coach.
3: Great. Thanks for inviting me to be on the show. This is wonderful. Kathy, tell us a little bit about the Coulter
1: Foundation program that you run at Drexel University. Give us a little background.
3: Sure. This is one of my favorite subjects to talk about. So the Coulter Foundation started from money that came from Wallace H. Coulter's estate from the sale of the Coulter Company to Beckman Coulter. And the Coulter Foundation felt that they were very dedicated in his memory to really building science that served humanity. It's a story that I love telling as the beginning of how we really got started with these programs at universities. In 2006, the foundation decided that they would really love to start funding research at universities, but really applying principles they had, of course, learned and used in industry at the Coulter Company in order to see university technologies be uh, Commercialized. So, uh, we started with 16 universities and uh, we have about 12 that are continuing in the program. Um, we, at this point, function as somewhat of a network, although the programs are independently operated at each university. Some of the schools are endowed. So, my university here in Philadelphia, Drexel, runs the program from a $20 million endowment. And uh, we partner with local area entrepreneurs, big strategics to really figure out what are the best technologies we have and how we can bring bring those to market uh, to do that I put in anywhere from seventy-five to $400,000 over a year or two of funding to really de-risk the technologies um, they're very early stage and actually get them licensable and then on out the door here so as you do that you said uh, you invest anywhere from seventy-five to a couple of
1: hundred thousand and do you do that in tranches in other words making an investment and reserving some for follow-on
3: Oh, yes, <laughs> of course. Uh, so typically, when we do funding, we um, start with uh, the technology. Sometimes we will tranche the funding over. Uh, over the space of six months. Other times we'll give a whole year's worth of funding and then review again after a year. But like a lot of investors, if a program starts to look like it's failing midway through, then we'll sort of close that down and even pull our money back if we have to. I try not to do that. I usually try to help the teams figure out what's going on and how we can solve those problems to really then pivot and move the technology in a different direction if we need to. Um, we do. I, I do have a set budget every year, and I think the other piece that you're sort of referring to is whether or not I have to spend all of my money every year, and the answer is no. I, I actually have the ability to reserve some dry powder, so that's a little bit different from how a lot of university funding mechanisms run, If I only have $500,000 worth of great opportunities in one year, then that's the amount of money we put into them and we'll reserve the rest for future things that look promising or to give to technologies that we've funded in the past. That makes
1: very good sense, and that's why I asked you to explain it because it is a little different than um, other university programs. So the other thing I noted is that you talked about funding ideas or technologies rather than really funding companies, and you have the ability to pull capital back. Uh, it's not quite the same for other venture firms or angel groups, and so on. <laughs> you know, once awarded, it's there. You know, for better or for worse. Nevertheless. Right. Um, these these are the kinds of things that make it a little bit different when we're talking about this kind of university funding. And as you look at this, do you actually have these uh, groups form companies before you invest? Or are you literally investing in a technology that may become a company in the future?
3: Right. So I should say... We do use the word investing very loosely. I jokingly tell people I run a non-dilutive fund, uh, so we don't take equity. And in fact, the money is dispersed as a grant. The university gets paid back from the money that we put in based on how we license the technology, but that's independent. or the terms of licensing are independent from my actually putting money in. Our goal really is to get the best technologies out to the market and to do things to advance them in a way that they become more attractive. So that makes good sense to me. The next question would be, what
1: is a good investment for your program? Because you're not looking then for a founding team and a a company. You're looking for technologies that can then be deployed for the benefit of the university as well as others uh, after they graduate, if you will, from your grad program.
3: Yeah, so Jillian, I think you raise a really good point. And we we are very technology driven. But in fact, I tell people that for me, actually, the most important investment criteria is still the team most of my teams actually are interdisciplinary they involve someone in engineering or basic science research as well as a clinical faculty member and we really do like to see strong functional relationships we like people to see like to see people going back and forth between their exact places of work engineers over at the hospital clinicians who are willing to come over to the research labs and that's really where we start to see the crux of what will be a successful technology because the teams that work together that closely, they're the ones who will work together when it gets hard, when something fails in the lab, when you have to make tough decisions. They also function better in terms of working with us to source CEOs. So you kind of mentioned, like, do we fund the technology or the company? And we do fund the technology, but we're actively working in venture development in terms of sourcing executive leadership, sometimes even board members for early stage companies, and also providing them with access to capital, Uh, for example, I just got back from the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference or Biotech Showcase two weeks ago in San Francisco, had some great meetings and already setting up some of my startup companies that have spun out with further contacts in the venture world. That makes very good sense.
1: So you're dealing with what we would call wizards, the technologists, if you will, at the very early uh, seed stage or idea stage, and then you bring them to the point where they find their executors, those who execute and build a company around their ideas. So that's really cool. Before we take a break here, just a couple of minutes to go, what would you say makes a good exit for you? Because again, it isn't quite the same as venture capital looks like outside the university.
3: Right. So, I don't exit to an IPO or a sale of the company. I exit to the company actually getting venture funding. So, uh, for us, what makes a successful exit is when a company gets started based on one of the technologies, and then they raise angel or venture funding around that company. We do, we are actually agnostic as to whether the technologies get it licensed to startups or to existing companies. So, I will say, although many of our um, currently successful technologies are licensed licensed into a startup. We are also open to licensing to existing companies. So that could be licensing to a big multinational like GE or Stryker or J and J. And then they would of course develop the technology internally without building a startup around it.
1: So when that happens, uh, going to say a major multinational, does the university then retain, if you will, royalties on the product as it moves forward in its life cycle?
3: Oh, yes, of course. So typically, license agreements have some sort of upfront fees, payments for patent costs. That's pretty standard. Um, if it's a startup, then the university will often take an equity stake in that startup. Um, and then, of course, milestone payments and royalties, depending on the nature of the licensing agreement. Obviously, if we're licensing to a big company, we wouldn't take equity in an existing company. So then the terms ro- function, or rotate much more around milestones and royalties.
1: That makes good sense, and it's an excellent way to fund a university as well. So, in just a moment here, we're going to take a break at CEO Coach, and when we come back, we're going to talk about everything from how long it takes from an inquiry to the funding itself, uh, who gets involved in things like the due diligence process and what that looks like, and many other questions around this fund. We'll be right back.
0: More on how to get your business on the web with CEO Coach after this.
2: WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com Not on my watch, our military service members say, as they volunteer to serve. As they move out, stand firm, and take fire. So not on our watch, we say, to the severely ill or injured veterans who can't get the care they deserve to live full and independent lives, even when there's no government funding or a nursing home seems like the only option, we won't leave one warrior behind. Not on our watch. Join us at findwwp.org.
0: We're back with Julian Music and Ann Kennedy on CEO Coach, only on webmasterradio.fm.
2: Welcome back to CEO Coach. We are talking today with Katherine Jordan, who directs the Coulter Program at Drexel University, uh, one of a number of such programs at universities around the country, funded by the Coulter Foundation. Kathy, before the break, you were talking about how your program works and your experience with it. There's still more that we'd like to know. We'd like to tell our listeners about how this works. For instance, is there an average time from the first inquiry to funding...
3: Oh, sure. I actually run a standard funding process. I have a pretty lean office, which basically means it's myself and one other person. So we don't take applications on a rolling basis, so that would be fun to do. Uh, instead, um, we get inquiries starting at around the 1st of de- December, and then we make the decisions through a series of interactions by the end of May of the following year. So about six months period of time from first inquiry. Um, I am always working on building my pipeline though. So I'm meeting with people throughout the year to find out about their research, learn about their interest in commercializing that research and whether or not the program is even a good fit for them. So really building that interest in the program throughout that period of time.
2: What are the key points that would make a program a good fit for you?
3: you know a lot of it comes down to having first of all intellectual property strong strength of intellectual property right we really want to see game changing technologies things that are cutting edge um because that's the actual asset that we can license out of a university right we're not really able to license our faculty members out they have jobs <laughs> so so that's the piece that we're really ass- uh, that we're really moving out of the university is intellectual property um The rest of it is, uh, so then after we look at intellectual property, we're really looking at sort of team and the faculty members' interest in commercializing their technology. I will say I was a former academic, purely bench research, and I will defend to the hill anyone's right to do purely academic research and publish that work. So, a lot of times I see great technologies, but if it's not really something that the faculty member wants to do to see that work through to commercial endpoints, then we say, "Hey, publication is the best thing for that." I'm, um, faculty members who really do want to commercialize their technologies, that's when I start to get really involved with them. Because as you know, I don't have to tell you this, that executing even on the early stages takes a lot of work. And it's really different from the typical things we do in academia in terms of research, publication, and teaching. And it's a different set of skills that are often new for the faculty members I work with and a really different way of thinking about their work. Once we've taken care of those two things, then I tell them, hey, good time to apply for the program, let's start um, socializing this technology to a broader range of people and really start to get feedback on it. For that, I also work with our Office of Technology Commercialization, and then finally into presenting to the Executive Board for the Coulter program in terms of project selection.
2: So, in the who else? You mentioned you run a really lean team on your side, but who are some of the other players that get involved in your
3: due diligence that's a great question. So we have, I, I have one person who works with me here in the office to handle sort of back-end stuff. We have a student intern program, they actually do the due diligence. I always have a mix of PhD students, MBA students, and professional master's students in biomedical engineering. This year we're super excited, we have seven students. So they do the initial market research, they do some primary market research, contacting end users just to get feedback on the technologies, sometimes contacting other strategic partners I work with our licensing group. They handle all of the intellectual property, coordinating working with outside counsel to protect it, also doing some marketing of the technologies in terms of finding additional strategic partners who might be interested in licensing it. And then, of course, I mentioned that I have an executive board, so the initial project selection, everything goes through me, but final project selection is really done by the executive board for the program. So I have a team of 11 people who have a wide variety of backgrounds. Some of them are clinical faculty here at Drexel University. Some of them are serial entrepreneurs. Some of them are local area funders, and they're the ones who really also do the final selection of the projects as we go from about. Twelve technologies down to the five or seven that we fund every year.
2: So, overall, in your time, how many have you funded? Uh, have you reviewed? And then, how many have oh. you funded? What's the <laughs> ratio of review to funding? So I
3: should say, I should say, I've been doing this kind of work since two thousand eleven. I first started at the University of Washington in Seattle. So, over that period of time. Uh, So that would be, what, seven funding rounds I'm into now. So I've reviewed, I've started with well over 100 technologies total, um, probably getting close to 150 at this point um, that have gone through some level of diligence. Um, It's probably another... 200 to 250 that I've had at least an initial meeting with someone to talk about the technology, right? Um, So 150 or so applications um, and then moving on down to how many actually get funded. I've probably funded 30 to 35 different technologies over that period of time and at two different universities I should say. The portfolio for my program here at Drexel right now, I have about 30 technologies that we're actively looking for partners or have recently spun out into startups.
2: And uh, just one more question about uh, the, your resourcing and your sourcing. Uh, are you limited to any particular geographic area?
3: I Well, I'm limited to where I can fund technologies to things in which Drexel has an interest in the intellectual property. As to where we look for strategic partners and sources of capital, we're open. So we, are, we don't function as an economic development organization. Absolutely, we love it when we find the right CEOs and access to capital here in Southeastern Pennsylvania. But we're certainly open to our technologies being partnered with companies around the world, sources of capital around the world or in the United States. And we really are agnostic as to final location of those. Our goal is truly to get the products from bench to bedside.
2: And then you mentioned that you have an executive board. Um, you know, we've talked a lot, uh, Jillian and I, on this program about uh, how few women founders get funded. And uh, I think that in our prep for this, you observed that you half of your grantees are women founders. Is that accurate?
3: Yeah, that is about right. Here at Drexel, about half the grantees are Uh, female faculty members here at Drexel. I attribute that to any number of reasons. I do think that we actually have a pretty supportive environment for them. I also have three women on my executive board. So one clinician and two women who are in the local funding scene in this area. Um, And I think that's brought a huge strength to my board in terms of the diversity of opinions that we see and just how people really look at the technologies. So I do think that both of those combined have, have really turned this into an environment that's actually, at least here at Drexel, quite positive for the female founders that we work with. And you are proving
2: what we say all the time, that the diversity brings uh, more effective companies, better development. It's it's just good for everybody, and it's good for business. So congratulations. You're moving that needle way above average.
3: <laughs> but I say, I w- I said, I, and I added a fourth woman, I should say. I'd kind of forgotten, but I oh. added a fourth woman from a, a large strategic partner in the area. So, so that was really exciting. Um. So at this point, my board is getting close to half women. Um, Good work. Keep it up. You mentioned (laughs) when you're
2: working with the um, people in academia, um, and I I have to think that working with startups in a university environment um, does require some some in sometimes some delicate negotiations you mentioned that some uh, people in academia really don't want to take a product to market they're much more comfortable with just publishing their research are there before we go to our next break uh, are there any other things that leap out at you about how you work with uh, uh people in the university environment
3: Sure. One of our big issues that we've just been working with on recently, and then I talk with faculty members a lot, is the nature of starting a company. And this is something that over the last six years, I've seen a lot of trial and error. And I, of course, have my own strongly held opinions on what works and what doesn't. But at this point, I do work with my faculty on founding a company with appropriate executive leadership. It's really, really common that a lot of faculty members think that they can found a company on their own. And truthfully, yes, of course you can. Anyone can just fill out some basic incorporation documents and then they have a company. But in fact, having the time to execute is essential. And most of the time, our faculty members are in fact super busy with their research and their teaching. And really, even if they had the desire to execute like a good CEO with, they just don't have the time to fit that in. So Since I've come here to Drexel, I've made a really big focus on introducing my faculty members to those people in executive leadership who can form, be executive leaders and actually really f- work with them doing the work on the outside to develop pitch decks, to meet investors, and really talk to end users of the product to hone, that, hone those ideas into something that's marketable. That's turned out to be a very successful model for us. It was successful in my previous position in Seattle, so I think that's something that I really do take to heart is also really, and working with the faculty members to understand why that is that we really like to work with people outside the university.
2: That makes perfect sense. And again, supports that idea of a diversity of opinions. Um, We have to take another break for our sponsors and uh, we'll come back with, we'd love to have your top tips, Kathy, for uh, somebody wanting to get involved in this kind of program that you have. So this is CEO Coach. We'll be right back.
0: More on how to get your business on the web with CEO Coach after this. Hello, I'm Hector Elizondo, and I want to talk to you about getting older. My body hurts, my joints ache, and sometimes I forget. I forget that doing all your own scenes for a movie isn't always the best decision, especially when you're galloping high speed on a horse named Archibello. So yes, my body hurts, but it's not because of my age. It's because I'm living my life. Don't let life pass you by. Take care of your brain health. It may just help you stay on top of your game. Oh, <laughs> Learn more at brainhealth.gov. There are over 70 million active podcast listeners in the U.S. WebmasterRadio.fm reaches them all with the largest global distribution of any online business-to-business podcast network. Through iHeartRadio, iTunes. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. We're back with Julian Music and Ann Kennedy on CEO Coach, only on WebmasterRadio.fm.
1: Welcome back to CEO Coach. We're speaking today uh, about working with uh, funding opportunities inside a university rather than just with angel groups or venture capital. So... Now, before we close up today's show, Kathy, mm-hmm. would there be any significant tips that you could share with our readership, so or listenership, I should say, so that they can determine whether or not they're a good match for this kind of funding, even in their own local universities, if not in the Philadelphia area with you?
3: Oh, Sure. So universities are, in fact, great places to source technology, and nobody paid me to say that. <laughs> they can be a lot of fun, and they can provide a lot of back-end support for an early-stage technology, just in terms of if you've got a technology that needs to go out through the clinic, um, universities have you know immediate access to clinical testing in hospitals and that whole network of things that can be really important in the medical environment. Um, That said, we are cash constrained, more so than even people might imagine. So, when I'm talking with people outside who want to work with our technologies, one of the very first things I try to make sure they understand is they have to have the ability to work for equity only, probably for a year or two. and that does tend to scare people off pretty quickly. So uh, it also yeah, limits the number good. of serial entrepreneurs that I can work with. But, you know, the the ones who say to me, oh, you know, I'm used to getting paid every two to five years that I say, yes, you understand exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> You'll get paid when there's an exit. Um so, so in terms of working with universities in general, uh, almost all major research universities have a technology transfer or licensing office. They have literally thousands of technologies that are available for license in any number of medical indications, as well as technologies across a range of applications um, that have nothing to do with the medical field at all, right? So if you're working with a university that has a strong computer science department, they might have all kinds of technologies that are completely outside of the things that I typically That. Um, and it's really easy, actually, to just drop them a note and say, hey, what do you have? I'm interested. They'll usually have a list of their top 15 or 20. Um, many universities do also have programs like the one I run. If not, um, the ones that were originally started by the Coulter Foundation, they'll still have their own gap funding programs. And many of those do provide amounts of money similar, similar ranges to what I provide um, in terms of being able to advance those technologies to the market. So I think that's another piece just to kind of keep in mind in terms of having access to that capital. If you start working with universities, really ask what are the gap funding mechanisms that they have? Are they able to provide any resources? For me, in addition to the funding I provide, I also am able to provide some amount of money towards Early stage consulting, regulatory consulting, additional market analysis, um, other services that can really support an early stage CEO as they're trying to really bring a technology to market
1: that sounds like very sage advice actually the first one being uh, be prepared to work without a salary and um, I think that's perhaps particularly important as we consider that uh, these folks are not again in the public sector and so often unused to that and the second one is making sure that there's a good match uh, with what a university can bring to the market uh, to your you know benefit um, and so on and what would be your absolutely hottest tip for anybody before they applied to you in other words you can look at all of the, you know, the, the things that bombed out and you go, gee, if only I could just tell people this one thing, I would have much fewer companies or ideas to sift through and many more that would be really viable.
3: Absolute top tip. Make sure you've got a great team and make sure everybody on that team is on board with the amount of work it's going to take to commercialize the technology. I guess that was two tips. Okay, top tip, make sure you have a great team. <laughs>
1: no, that's okay. It's, it's a corollary. Yeah. <laughs> um, how could you- that would be very good so it, it's the ability of the team leader if you will um, to source the right people and make sure those people are truly informed about what it's about to take otherwise you have sourced the wrong people and that would be not that they're not good at what they do but they're a bad fit perhaps for what's going on so that was really wonderful and how do people get a hold of you if they want to specifically apply to your fund
3: Yes, yeah, so I'm easy to look up. You can just uh, Google Kathy Jordan at Drexel or Coulter at Drexel. My contact information is spread all over the website for my um, program. That's Coulter, C-O-U-L-T-E-R. Um, so it's easy to find, or you can reach me. If anybody has a piece of paper handy, they write this down, kcj39 at drexel.edu.
1: Okay, say that one
3: more time kcj39 at drexel.edu perfect thank you so much for joining us today Kathy
1: it was a pleasure and I learned a great deal as well and that's it this week for CEO Coach we'd like to thank our producers at Webmaster Radio for their ongoing support you can download these shows at webmasterradio.fm forward slash shows forward/ceo-coach you'll also find us at iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher and many other places around the web. You can find links and more on facebook.com forward slash CEO Coach Podcast. Stop by, hit the like button so we know you are there, and tell us what you'd like to hear about on CEO Coach. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jillian Music with Ann Kennedy, and you can find out more about how we help companies to launch, grow, pivot, and thrive at outlinesventure.com. Till next week.